0: What we're going to do with the last chunk of time that we have is to hear a few more voices of asylum seekers talking about what it is to be an asylum seeker in the UK. What is it like to come here from another country, to be be forced from where you live and to try and make sense of a new life here and to go through the asylum system. So we'll introduce ourselves. Um, I'm Tom Daly. I manage the voice project at Bristol Refugee Rights. So the Voice Project is all about this, giving space to the actual voices of asylum seekers and refugees. There's so much interest in refugees and asylum seekers, and there's so much coverage, but mostly we just hear the voices of experts and politicians and government people all speaking about refugees and asylum seekers. We don't hear very much of their voices themselves, so that's the idea of this you mind introducing ourselves? We've got two speakers who very generously and courageously come along to speak about life as an asylum seeker in the UK. Would you mind?
1: Yeah. My name is Desire, I come from Albania and I've been in the UK for about three years and a half and I am a BRR member, also a Borderlands member. I volunteer with Bristol refugee rights as a public speaker and Albanian interpreter as well.
2: My name is Emmanuel, I, I, I came from Uganda, uh, I work as a volunteer in Bristol Hospitality Network and uh, as, uh, I, I also work as a, a meeting a consultation group and I'm a voice speaker at Bristol Refugee Rights.
0: That's great, thank you Emmanuel. So the plan, the plan is we have 20 minutes left, so we're going to be compact and concise. Um, we're going to, I'm going to ask a few questions to the speakers. They're going to share with us some experiences and some opinions. And then we'll take a few questions from you or reflections, opinions from the audience. So we have Claire with the roving microphone. There we go. OK, so we're, we're good to go. Um, so our speakers, you can direct questions to the speakers. Um, we'd, I'd ask that you don't ask anything that's too personal in terms of people's family situation, um, or the precise details of asylum cases, or why exactly someone left their country, because it's, it's a bit too sensitive for that. But, but questions are good. It's interesting to have the chance to, to ask questions and to have your, you know, things come up in your mind. Sure, ask your questions, that would be great. Okay. So the first question, um, for Deshiroi, What's it like to come to the UK, to come to Bristol, as an asylum seeker? What's that experience like? How does it feel?
1: I think, Tom, I can't give you a definition of how it is to come to a new country and not speaking the language, not having any friends, not having any family, not knowing what to do, not knowing how your future is going to be or in what position you're going to be. But I would say it's very scary and I think sometimes you just don't know how it feels. It's very confusing. Um, You feel lonely, you feel scared, uh, you feel lost, you feel like no one wants to support you, no one likes you, even as a human being. But I think, despite all the problems, what I have found really, really useful in this country are all the people who have helped and supported me with everything, starting from the language and all other things.
0: Thanks very much. Okay. And Emmanuel, how's the experience been for you? Um, I mean, both of you are within the asylum system, but your cases are still unresolved. Yeah. What's, what's it like to be within the system and still waiting for a decision?
2: Yeah, uh, as an asylum seeker and still waiting in the system, uh, uh, as uh, the system or the uh, the government uh, uh, uses destitution as a tool to put pressure on the asylum seekers and refugees. So the uh, the experience that I've gone through, uh, sometimes it puts me and. Un- uh, um, on on, on uh, under pressure, stress, uh, depression, anxiety. So
0: that's what I've been going through all along. Mm. And so to add, yeah, that's, this is what we've, we've heard from, from members. Bristol Refugee Rights has existed for 10 years and was set up in response to need the need for a shared space, the need for a sense of community and safety and solidarity. We hear this from our members all the time, that to be an asylum seeker is to live under under threat and with a constant uncertainty, so it's the threat of deportation, detention, of being thrown out onto the streets and made destitute, of losing your home. So to me, I'm always in awe of how people manage to live in that tension and continue to thrive and continue to be positive parts of their communities. Um, I wanted to ask you, Deshiwe, um, what would you say about the system and how it's affecting you um, and about your hopes for change?
1: Um, well, with the system that It's now. It's very difficult because I've been here, as I said, um, more than three years and my life is just on a hold all the time and I don't know what to plan for my future. I'm going to apply for scholarship uh, this week and to be honest, I thought, no, I'm not going to apply because they might just send me back and I don't know what my future is going to be. And also, I have a child, so I can't plan anything Um, for my daughter as well, and for my future, and just on a halt all the time. And sometimes, you know, you just feel very depressed and stressed about that, and some people go mentally ill as well. Um, But I think, you know, there are good things and bad things as well. I can't say there are only bad things going on. There are also good and positive stuff as well.
0: Okay. Emmanuel, if you could change something, if you could make a suggestion that would be listened to, what what would that change be? Uh, uh, if the a government if the government could allow
2: the asylum seekers and uh, people who are uh, destitute to work as they wait for uh, uh, for the decision, mm. that would be great. And they, uh, and if um if they uh, because and and if they could allow us to get involved in the system as we work okay. and we contribute towards the community, that would be great and we would love it and I, I think every uh, uh, refugee or asylum seeker would love that to work as uh, we wait for our decision to be made by the Home Office. Thank you. Uh,
0: okay. So, do we have anyone here who wanted to, to comment or to a- ask a question? At this stage, we're talking about the, s- the system and the experience how it is to be an asylum seeker, there might be a few asylum seekers here who want to speak themselves about how it, how it is to be in that position, or perhaps you've got a question that you've always wanted an answer to. Um, any hands? No? Oh, there we go. My name's Peter. I just wondered, I'm totally ignorant about this area, uh, just becoming involved. When you arrive in the country, how do you get put into the system? How do you you find the first contacts? Or do they find you? Can you give me some information about that, please? Okay, I can start with that one. So people have to make an asylum claim, and to do that, you have to go to Croydon to the appropriately ha- named Lunar House. Um, appropriately named because they essentially live on the moon, <laughs> it's a different world. Um, so people have to get to Lunar House, and they have to do that within three days of arrival uh, in, order to, in order to be perceived as a genuine refugee. Um, if you take longer than that to arrive at Lunar House, then... It's, it's inferred that perhaps your claim is not genuine because a, there's, the Home Office have this idea of what a real refugee is and the behaviour that a real refugee would, would, would take part in and it involves claiming asylum at the nearest possible opportunity. The problem is that people generally don't know this stuff. People aren't coming to the UK with a Home Office handbook, you know, home of, a book of Home Office policies. People are, people are coming with, with the minimal amount of stuff they can survive with. So there's a problem there. So step one, get to the Home Office's headquarters in, in Croydon, or alternatively, you can go to the police, and you can make an asylum claim, and you can say, I need protection, I'm a refugee, so I'm, I'm claiming my right under the Refugee Convention of 1951. And it's important to think about the history of this. This exists because of the Holocaust. You know, this system was set up to protect people fleeing war and persecution, genocide. So, by by claiming that right to protection, people enter the system. But first, you have to know how. And yeah, for some people, it's not that straightforward. Would either of you like to talk about how you felt when you had to make your claims, or should we leave that? Do we have another question? Port, I Sorry? You, I presume you arrive in the country at a seaport. Let's assume. Let's assume a refugee arrives at a seaport. Yeah. Um, who tells them where to go? What actually happens on arrival? It, it would really depend, but people arrive different ways. Some people come with a visa. If you're, if you're lucky enough to have the time and the money to be able to organise a visa and come as a student or an employee, then, then people do that. But for many people, there's no safe route of passage through legal channels, so they'll come you know, on land, they'll come through Calais, they'll come through Dunkirk, and people take all sorts of risks to get here. So, and the question was, what do you do at the port? At the port, you need to tell uh, an employee of the government that you're going to claim asylum, and then you'll you'll be processed to that point. Great. I'm going to move on to another question to our two panel members. Oh, is there one more? Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Did you want to say anything about what it's like to start your claim? This may sound like a planted question, uh, but it's not. Uh, I wanted to ask the Shira whether she felt that the early years project run by Bristol Refugee Rights was helpful.
1: Yes, it was very helpful. If that didn't exist, I wouldn't be able to volunteer at Bristol Refugee Rights, and I wouldn't wouldn't be able to do um, anything for myself, um, get engaged with other people, make friends, or have just a little bit of time on my own. So it was very helpful, and it still is very helpful.
0: Let's tell the people what we're speaking about. So this is Bristol Rights, Refugee Rights' early years project. So it's a crash which has been open for ten years now. It's the only only place available for women and families to bring children and have any sort of time respite to get involved in things or to just have a rest. So, Tashire, how long have you had children in the Early Years Project?
1: Um, It's been more than a year now that my daughter is going to the crash there.
0: Okay, great. Um, Thanks for the question. Yes. So, in in fact, we're trying to raise £20,000 for the Early Years Project, and tomorrow is the end of our fundraising period. Um, We're currently on £12,000. So, if anyone's feeling particularly flush... (laughs) (laughs) just putting it out there um, to find out more about the early years project you can look on Bristol Refugee Rights website or Facebook there's the film which is showing upstairs um, which is lovely it's only four minutes long and it gives you a sense of, sort of what a lovely vibrant positive place it is um, how is it for for Isla how was how is your daughter finding the early years project
1: it's very helpful for her because most of the time, um, as an asylum seeker, Emmanuel said we are not allowed to do paid work and I don't have enough money. I can't afford to take her um, to play spaces where, I have, where she can just enjoy herself. And um, at, for her, I think it just developed her so much she can be herself, she doesn't have to worry why mummy is so worried, why she is crying, why she can't go out whenever she wants, uh, why she's always so stressed and so angry at me, she can just be herself and enjoy her childhood.
0: Thanks. Yeah, so the earliest project is is really important and without it we wouldn't have, people like Desiree wouldn't be available to us to, to volunteer and to be part of our community, it's it's really important. Um, there's lots of great projects in Bristol. You've seen the evidence of some of their work. Okay, I'm going to take the next question. Yes. There. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess my question is for all panel members. Um, what do you perceive to be the big gaps that we've got left in Bristol as a city for provision for people who are seeking asylum or who have refugee status and are just sort of building their lives back up from the process. What are the main gaps that we've still got yet left to face in Bristol? Hmm. So for you of my fellow panel members, is there anything you think is really missing from Bristol's, you know, from the different charities and the organisations? I mean, it's partly a matter of scale. Nobody can, mm-hmm. no one can manage yeah. to deal with the scale of the, of the demand because the Home Office provide so little and there are so many people being forced into destitution and homelessness and so many people who are trying to understand the asylum system, trying to, make, trying to access their legal representation, legal aid is being cut all the time, people are having a really hard time understanding what, what their entitlements are, people's housing is, is substandard. So I think there are people doing a tremendous amount. But I think that ultimately the change has to be on a larger scale than what we can achieve personally. I think that people are doing a great deal of amazing stuff. And Bristol's one of the best places in the country, I would say, in terms of the strength of, of the movement, what people are doing here. you um, would you like to say anything? Yeah, as Thomas said, that
2: uh, uh, we cannot, uh, uh, sometimes these things are personal. You cannot. Uh, really know what uh, other people are going through. Like for me, I would be, I was homeless and had lost my hope and uh, uh, through these organizations that work for refugees and asylum seekers, uh, I was helped and uh, uh, nowadays I live with a host family. I was very, but I live like a king now. I've got my own room. I've got they provide for, I, I, I get more than enough. So I'm happy, though I'm still waiting, but, but uh, they have revived my hope. They have made my, my, my dream survive. If it, if, if it were not uh, these organizations, the refugee organizations, I, I would be desperate. I don't know what I would, uh, would come next. But because of them, I'm really strong and I'm very optimi- optimistic that one day the Home Office will say yes to my, to my claim.
0: Which brings me to a question, actually. Um, I mean, it's, it's been a real privilege for me to get to know the people in our community at Bristol Refugee Rights, and I think I've learned a tremendous amount. I think one question I have for both of you is how, um, how you've managed to stay positive and how you've managed to Continue to be you know vibrant people that do lots for other, for other, other people um, Deshira, you interpret and support people who 've come more recently than you and help them to understand what their what their opportunities are to understand what their situation is. You do a great deal um, emmanuel you 're involved in the members consultation <coughs> group helping helping brr to To stay true to what the members want so you're both doing a a lot so my question is um how how, what is it that you do how do you manage to stay positive and resilient in the face of continuing uncertainty and doubt about your future Um.
1: um most of the time i think i feel very lucky that i'm surrounded with some really good people who have supported and helped me from the beginning since i arrived um, to Bristol and I think there are loads of people, one of them is my English teacher, she's here today and I'd like to say a th- huge thank you to her because she always trusted in me and she always pushed me saying that you can do this, you are very brave, um, you are a good mom, you are a great woman and all of these positive um, things that she said to me, and also other friends that always are just supporting me and pushing me to walk forwards and just to try um, to be better for myself, for my future, for my daughter as well. So I think I I just feel really, really lucky that I've met really good people here. And despite all the problems that I've got um, with my asylum claim and everything that's going on, the support of the people, has made a huge impact in my life. Did you
0: want
2: to say anything? Yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, uh, as I said, that these organizations have made, have built uh, uh, a, a bridge instead of building a wall, so we are very uh, flexible, uh, they are very flexible, and uh, they, have, uh, they, have, uh, they have made us to think positively, uh, because uh, everything that we need, we we'll run to them, and they help us. They've got different teams that help us uh, to look for advocates, look for help. So, and uh, they, add, uh, they encourage us instead of discouraging us. And uh, they keep, yesterday uh, I said, they have kept our dreams survive because of their encouragements and because of uh, their positivity uh, to what we are. And I just want to thank the, the Bristol community. Uh, most of the people are very, very welcoming, and uh, I just want to say thank you for welcoming us in this city. For uh, whatever I, I, I'm in Bristol, I feel like, like I, this is my home. This is my second home. I feel happy. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Mm.
0: <clears throat> Sadly, we've pretty much run out of time. There's a lot more to be said, but we're coming to the end it's been a fabulous event thank you so much for organizing it to um, everyone that's been involved there's lots coming up so if you want to know about events that are part of bristol refugee festival you can go to the facebook group uh, bristol refugee festival Uh, there's a there's a huge program if you want to find out what some of the events are here on this bit of paper so you can come and find me i'll be hanging around here there's a fabulous feast on the 12th of July at the Salt Cafe, uh, Sudanese food, live music from some Syrian musicians. It's a fundraiser and all the money would be for Bristol Refugee Rights going direct to frontline services. There's tons more. There's not time for me to describe the, the extent and the breadth of what the Refugee Festival has become. Maybe that's Jules' job. Um, do you want to come on and say something? Okay, so that's the end of us then. Thank you very much. It's been thank, thank you. you. Is this,
3: uh, uh, yes, thank you so much for coming. Um, there's still a bit of time to go up and see the exhibition um, upstairs and buy a book if you haven't bought it already. Um, y- there's lots going on. Uh, we've got um, uh, what have we got? We've got a showcase from Lara in Kingswood. Um, this week, um, there's Painter Star, which is um, children going out and painting um, stars for missing children of the refugee crisis. That's sort of going on throughout the month, but there's a couple of public workshops. Uh, there's also going to be a community street iftar um, that's been organised by the Eastern Mosque, um, which is going to be on St Mark's Road on Thursday, which would also be a fabulous event. Um, Friday film screenings at um, Actor Theatre I'm trying to think of all this there's a couple of Eid celebrations from BHN, um, Refugee Women of Bristol and everybody's invited um, and then there's going to be um, a fabulous uh, event obviously in Queen Square which we have every year, that's on the 9th of July um, I'm trying to think and then finally we're going to um, we've just mentioned the fundraiser at um, BRR on the 12th And there's going to be a final festival party, um, which has been put together by a number of artists. It's going to be a multimedia exhibition and and, a live music DJs sort of full on party um, right at the end. Um, So please do check out our website, our Facebook page, and um, come along and support us. That'd be fantastic to see you again. Okay, thank you.